Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John chapter 19, we find the sad and disturbing account of Jesus being flogged and tortured. We must always remember that Jesus willingly accepted this abuse so that he might provide for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. Every human being in the world needs to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior if they want to spend eternity in heaven with God. Without Jesus, only hell awaits. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 19 and take a look at this overwhelmingly difficult account of Jesus being flogged and tortured on our behalf. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas, and uh, hopefully y'all just spending time with Jesus, right? We talk about it every week, twice a week. Um, and I repeat this over and over and over again, because I've certainly found in my own life and very much when dealing with others, particularly your own family, right? You know, I was, I was talking to a, a cousin of mine, we were texting back and forth and, uh, you know, he's a sharp guy, right? Uh, my boy, Jim Jr., right? He's a 50 year old man now, but I'm telling you, man, it's like a, a thorn in my side. I love this kid, right? But uh, he's a professor, he's an educated man, but you know, trying to get him on the, the right page for Jesus is, I'm telling you, it's work, but you know, I have hope, I love him, um, you know, and we're working on it, right? But the point I was making is that I have to say the same things over and over and over. Is y'all family like that? My family, I have to say, I, I have to say everything three, four, five, six times. Still don't listen. Everybody back talk. Everybody got it figured out. It's about the word of God. Life is about Jesus. Now, listen, I love them all. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. But the meaning of life the very meaning of life, Junior, is spending time with Jesus, right, Faith? That's all that matters is growing to know Jesus, growing to spend time with Jesus, growing to know his love, growing to obey him, right? I mean, I said it before, Jesus Christ is the coolest person as you grow to know him, right? Now, he's still your God, your savior, your master, your king, but he's your friend. And as you grow to, to walk with Jesus and to, and to just, and just to learn of him and just to see how he moves and, and just his manner in the gospels, it's, it's incredible. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, it, it's, it's a hard teaching today. We did this at Bible study yesterday. We're in John chapter 19. Lord willing, we'll get through verse 16, um, John 19, verses 1 to 16. And this is Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Um, and it's, man, it's, it's hard to study when you really study these verses, right, Corinne? They're, uh, they're difficult, right? Rap, when you just really break down uh, John 19, 1 to 16, it's, um, yeah, it's 
It's hard. So, Father, we just thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. We thank you for your love. Father, we thank you that we have our Bible and that we can study our Bible and spend time in our Bible. But, Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect life righteous life for us. We thank you for dying a torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. And we worship you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Help us see Jesus. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. John chapter 19. Um, Lord willing, we'll do verses 1 to 16. Verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. Verse 15, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's, we break these verses down, Becky. I mean, they're just, um, it ought to give us, as Christians, it ought to give us such pause it ought to give us such, um, you know, it ought to bring us to a place of repentance. Just really over the last 
you know, 24 hours. Again, I did this at Bible study. I was preparing for teaching this yesterday and just, just in thinking about it, just, just thinking about all that Jesus has gone through to think about how, how selfish I can be at times, how frustrated I can be when things don't go my way. You know, um, I, I just, I still, you know, maybe y'all are better than me at this, but I, I still am not at a place where I am content when I'm going through trials or difficulties or hardships or just unpleasant times. I don't like it, right? And yet the Apostle Paul, remember in uh, Philippians 4, said he's learned the secret to be content in any and every situation. I, I apparently have not grown to learn that secret. Because I am more content when my circumstances are the way I like, right, Junior? But when my circumstances are not to my liking and I perceive them difficult, right, um, I'm not as content. And, uh, and that's just not okay, Lord Jesus. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, and I ask you to help us, Lord, to, to really understand the price that's been paid for our forgiveness, Lord. All right, John 19, verse one. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. As I was preparing for this and just reading what the historians say this flogging was, it was a, it was a, it was a beating and a torture that's literally unimaginable. Um, the fact that the apostle John just says flogged and doesn't bring in details is, is notable. Um, it, you know, they would have used, uh, apparently the scholars said, you know, whips with, with bone attached to the end of the whips, right? Let's say it was a five cord whip. It would have bones attached to it and literally it would rip open the flesh when you would strike the person. Some people died during the flogging. Some people went into shock. Um, most people just passed out, right? They fainted. From the pain, it was brutal. It says, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now, we're going to see that Pilate's hope here in the flogging is, is that he's going to hope that if he has Jesus badly beaten, that, you know, that that'll be enough and that'll be sufficient and he won't have to crucify him because he doesn't want to crucify him. OK. Um, and, you know, as we read down there, he's going to be even more afraid. Right. Remember verse eight, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And what's you know, what you're going to see here, y'all, is that Pilate, Pilate probably had seen, who knows, 30, 40, 50, 100. We don't know. But he consistently would have interviewed prisoners and made decisions for them. Right. People who had broken the law, people who were captive. And so he would have had a, um, you know, he would have had a, a, a lot of experience in speaking to people who had been who had been arrested, who had been captured. And so he was used to how prisoners behaved. Right. Prisoners would generally often beg for their lives, of course. Uh, they would or they they, they 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 would be belligerent toward him. Right. But never ever did someone like this stand before Pilate. No one had this disposition. You're going to see Jesus 
has this, uh, he's just got this, this controlled authority about him, right? He's, he's not worked up. He's peaceful. He's, you know, Pilate has already spoken to him in verse, in verses, uh, in the last chapter, he had a discussion with Jesus. And again, the answers Jesus had, had given Pilate is not like anything he'd ever seen. Jesus spoke to Pilate as if Pilate was his subject. And again, this type of disposition has got Pilate on his back feet. Okay. Cause he, again, this is not, uh, this is not how prisoners speak to Pilate. They're not controlled. They're not articulate. Um, and they don't speak with a, with a certain authority that he had clearly never seen, not in anyone, let alone a, someone who's supposedly guilty and deserving of, you know, to be killed, to be crucified, to be executed, right? So Pilate has him flogged. And again, the brutality of it, there's no words. But we're going to get this details here of what the soldiers did. And now, this wasn't necessary, but just how sadistic these soldiers are and the pleasure they take in torturing Jesus. And when you understand that Jesus took this pain, took this abuse, took this torture out of his incredible love for you and for me, it ought to give us some pause. Verse two, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, Verse three, and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. In the other gospels, it says they, they spit on him. It says they put like a reed in his hand. Um, the, the thorns that grew in that part of the world, scholars say, were, were strong, long thorns. Could have been like an inch and a half long, right? And so they twist together this crown of thorns and they press it down into his skull. And they do this to mock him. They do this to humiliate him. And he takes this humiliation because of his incredible, incredible love for us. Again, we really don't understand what Christ has paid for us. We don't understand the suffering, the, the, just the incomprehensible torture and suffering he willingly endured. Make no mistake. You remember when we opened John 18. When they came to arrest Jesus, they had a detachment of soldiers. And we talked about how a detachment in Roman times would either be a thousand. It could be 200, but generally it was 600. And so most scholars say it was 600 soldiers that Pilate sent with the chief priest to arrest Jesus because Jesus had been known to have a lot of followers, right? You know, there were times when he spoke to, to 20,000 people. So they bring this big detachment of 600 soldiers. Jesus is not hiding. He's in the same place he always is. You remember Jesus approaches the detachment. He's not running. He approaches them and they say, 
Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And you remember in chapter 18, it said, all the soldiers drew back and fell to the ground. Yeah. He said the two words, I am. You remember in, in uh, what is it, Exodus 4, when Moses said, he's talking to God, and Moses said, who am I going to say sent me? And God says, tell them I am who I am sent you. And so when they heard Jesus say I am, and the authority of those words, the magnitude of those words, right? You can go back and read it. Matter of fact, I'll just, I'll just swipe back for you, right? So Judas leads the detachment in chapter 18, verse uh, 3. It says, so Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Verse 6, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. What did that look like? What did it look like for 600 armed Roman soldiers, and it actually says with clubs, swords, and lanterns in chapter 18, when he said, I am he, the authority, the power, the, the force of those words was so strong that, boom, they draw back and they go to the ground, right? They don't even know why they're doing it, but they're doing it because the words just came out of the mouth of God, God the Son. We, we don't really know who we're dealing with. And by this, Jesus was showing, just so you understand, I'm willingly going to go with you. I'm willingly going to let you arrest me. But no one is taking me against my will. Jesus could have unmade them all in a, in, a, in a word, right? Yeah, I am he and 600 armed soldiers. Again, why are they doing this? These are experienced Roman armed soldiers. And they draw back at his words. He goes to them. See, again, they're not used to this. They're used to going to get prisoners and people running away or pleading for their life. Jesus walks up to them boldly. Okay, bro, hold up. They're not used to this. He says to them, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. When he says, I am he, boom. The force, the authority of the word of God that came from his mouth put them all to the ground, right? They don't even know why they're there, undoubtedly, right? You know, imagine them all getting up, having to straighten up their shields, their armor and whatever. So what just happened, right? And it's so cool because, we, again, we've already talked this, but Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that they all fell to the ground. He, he just repeats himself and says, I am he. What can I do for you? Right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're in 19. And it says, so Jesus again allows them to do all this. He could have, he could have destroyed them all if he wanted to. But instead, he, 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 he willingly takes this suffering on himself because it was necessary to pay 
for the sin of the world so that you and I, if we would receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and put our full trust and confidence and reliance in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, we would escape eternal hell and spend eternity in heaven. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting and relying on him alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Not Jesus and yourself, not Jesus in your good life, not Jesus in anything. A Christian is someone who understands they are a desperate, hopeless sinner deserving only eternal hell. We don't really know how bad and how sinful we really are. And out of that desperation, out of that hopelessness, out of that helplessness, you humble yourself before Jesus. And John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you humbled yourself before Jesus, knowing your desperate need of him and called out to him? Romans 12 says, Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not our words that save us. It's Christ that saves us. But we communicate our heart to the Lord with our words, right? Have you humbled yourself before Jesus and confess, Lord Jesus, I, I know that I am a sinful person. And I know that I cannot save myself, Lord. I know I'm hopeless. I'm helpless and I'm desperate. But Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Again, it's not just saying the words. If, you know, if you're not sure you're a Christian today, if you're not sure that, you know, you're genuinely trusting in Christ, a Christian is not someone who intellectually believes that Christ existed. Of course he existed. It's not even believing that he died on a cross. Of course he died on a cross. A Christian is someone who's trusting and relying on Jesus, has their full confidence in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. To believe in Jesus doesn't mean to, to, to give intellectual assent to his existence, which is oftentimes what most Christians say when they say, I believe in Jesus. I've said this before. If I said, if I said, uh, you know, Chris, I believe in you. What am I trying to say there? I'm not saying I believe you exist. Of course you exist, right? When I say I believe in you, I'm saying I trust in you. I believe you can do it. I have confidence in you. So to believe in Jesus means to trust in him, to rely on him, to put your full faith and confidence in him, knowing your desperate need of him. So again, if you're not sure that you've received Christ, back up the tape. Use the words I've used, but it's the, it's the genuineness, the sincerity, the humility of your heart, knowing your need of Christ and desperately and humbly asking him to save you and to be the Lord of your life, right? They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. So again, they have this, this whole mockery of Jesus. Again, can you imagine being these soldiers? Every, every 
Every human soul, every human being that was ever a being has a soul and a spirit. And they will live forever, either in eternal hell or in heaven, depending on whether or not they've received Christ as their Savior. Those who have received Christ will spend eternity in heaven. Those who have not will spend eternity in hell. And again, that's just what the Bible teaches. I don't even like it, right? But in John 14, 6, Jesus of his own words said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those words are not ambiguous. They're out of his own mouth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Because it's only in Jesus Christ that you can have your sins forgiven. And ultimately, Spend eternity in heaven with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So they do this whole mockery scene, and in verse 3 it says, And went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. So imagine they have this man, this man who's never done anything wrong, this innocent man, and they're just, they're taking pleasure in just... um they're taking pleasure in, in abusing him and torturing him. You know, and he's he's on some chair probably and they place this crown of thorns and they struck they they just drive it into his head and they they put this you know reed in his hand so just to sort of mock him. And then they they you know they were spitting on him and they they just uh you know, they mock him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they're taking turns punching him in the face. Can you imagine uh, that if you're one of these soldiers today, and we hope that these soldiers got a revelation of really who Jesus was. Because if they did, they would be forgiven. There's nothing you can do to not be forgiven of your sin. All sin is Jesus paid for. But you have to receive him. I do pray that these soldiers gave their life to Christ and realized, can you imagine if they didn't? What was it like for them knowing how badly they abused Jesus? And again, something we really don't understand, something we don't understand, something I certainly do not live my life as if I understand this so much. But we have really treated him this way. We have ourselves. It was you and I that pushed that crown into his head because he took it for us. It was you and I that mocked him. It was you and I that drove the spikes into his hands. You drove the left hand, I drove the right, and we both put the spikes in his feet because it was because of our selfishness and our sinfulness and our disobedience that he had to go through that. Verse 4, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Not only is there no charge that deserves execution, crucifixion, he finds no basis for any charge against Jesus, right, Leah? Because he's innocent. I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate is, is hoping 
uh, scholars say that history paints Pilate as a um, as as a weak ruler, but someone who would be abnormally brutal to make up for his lack of leadership, and uh, you know, someone who would be more you know sadistic and uh, just uh, cruel. Um, and, and and Pilate is afraid of Jesus. Okay, again. He's never been confronted with a man like this. He knows something isn't right. He can tell why the Jews are upset. Just speaking to Jesus for five minutes, he can tell why the Jews don't like him, right? Because this is not like anybody else. Pilate doesn't know he's the son of God, but he's about to hear what Jesus claimed. And it's going to say he's going to even be more afraid, right? Verse 5, when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. And just so you understand how badly Jesus was beaten, we're going to go over to Isaiah 52 and we're going to read verse, verse 14. And verses 13 and 14 are um, Isaiah predicting what's going to happen to Jesus at this moment. When in John 19, so I, Isaiah, whatever it is, 600 years earlier, right? Somewhere around there, I think. When he, when he, when he stands up and says these things, Isaiah is prophesying what's going to happen around there, 600 years in the future. Don't quote me. And this is here. When it says, Pilate said, here is the man. Jesus has been beaten so bad, been marred so bad, been abused so bad that he's not recognizable. Look what it says here in uh, Isaiah 52, verse 13 and 14. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And Jesus was exalted And lift it up on the cross, right? Verse 14, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. And his form marred beyond human likeness. Did you hear that? Just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. He's not recognizable. So when Pilate says, here is the man, it's because he's so beaten and battered and abused and tortured, you wouldn't recognize him. Pilate has to say, here is the man. This is the man you brought to me that's been so abused. And Pilate, again, was hoping with this severe flogging that they would that, that, that sensible people would say, okay, enough, let him go. But you can, you're going to see the darkness of the hearts of the people here. And when you're going to see this, we want to look into our own heart and see how dark and deep and bitter and angry and ugly our hearts can be. Verse six, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify, no mercy, no pity. 
But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Verse 7, the Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. And Jesus did do that because he is the Son of God, God the Son. And the Jews knew when Jesus said he was the Son of God, he was making himself equal to God, saying, I am of the same nature of the Almighty God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. Three separate beings, right? They're, they're one God. They all have the nature of God. They're all all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipotent, right? They're all all-knowing, omniscient, right? They know everything, which means they can't learn anything, right? And they're all omnipresent, everywhere at all times, outside of time, right? Bam, Junior, right? Hmm. But just the, the darkness, these are the religious leaders. These are the pastors and the teachers and the elders and the religious leaders of that day. And yet their hearts are so dark. Verse 8. Remember, they just said, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, which means he's already afraid of Jesus. He's already been trying to release Jesus, but now he's even more afraid because they just he just heard them say that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And again, what that means, Scott, is Jesus is of the same nature as God, meaning equality with God, which he is. Yeah. Verse 9. Verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. 9. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. My first spiritual father, Father Rick, still strong in the Lord today. You know, he taught me when I first became a Christian that, you know, in the Gospels, Jesus never defended a position he didn't hold. Jesus gives him no answer. Why doesn't Jesus answer him here? Jesus is going to answer the next statement, but Jesus doesn't answer him here. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus knows that, uh, that Pilate is, is, is not sincere, right? Pilate has an agenda. Now, Jesus is not going to be released. He's chosen to come here, right? But it's a, it's a question um, that, that Jesus knows Pilate is just searching and looking for some way to not take responsibility for this. Pilate has the power to release Jesus. Pilate should have repented here. He should have gone out, stood up to the Jews and said, no. I find absolutely no basis for a charge against him, let alone a charge of death that deserves death or crucifixion, right? Or execution. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. 
It's not a question that deserves an answer. And what would Jesus say anyway? Right? What would, what would Jesus say to this, y'all? Right? Well, where do I come from? Let me see. Um, well, originally, for, for all eternity, I was in heaven. I was in the realm of heaven. But then I became a human man and took on a human form. And now I'm, a God, I'm the God man. I'm fully God and I'm fully man. But if you're asking about, I guess, for geography, where do I come from? Well, I was actually born in Bethlehem, as all the prophets said in the Old Testament, right? Um, but then, you know, we had some problems. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, we went back to Nazareth, but then we had to go off to Egypt. But then we came back to Nazareth. But then me and the family just, you know, about three, three and a half years ago, moved, moved our, uh, our home to Galilee. There's really no, you know, well, what's Pilate going to understand to all that? So uh, there, there's no point in answering the question. And the question is really not, not of a genuine heart anyway. Jesus knows that, so he gives him no answer. Verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Pilate, again, it, it, it's, it's maddening to Pilate just how Jesus handles himself. So he says to Jesus, you refuse to speak to me. Don't you realize? He's talking to Jesus. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Pilate here very well may be exacerbated. Like, I'm trying to get you out of this. Don't you realize? Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? We don't know, again, what Pilate's emotional state is. He could be exasperated. He could be cold and calculating. Don't you know I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Look what Jesus says in verse 11. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Very powerful statement, right? All power is given from above. If you and I are in an unreasonable situation, if we have a difficult boss or, you know, you have difficult parents um, or, or whatever the situation is. And I mean, ungodly people now, obviously, we need our parents to discipline us. Right. And as children. But if you're in a reasonable or harsh situation. You could not be in that situation unless the Lord allowed it from above. Our God is sovereign. He's all powerful. Right. Our father, our heavenly father. You know, as Jerry Bridges says, either caused the situation for you to be in or allowed it. So either way, it has that, you know, at least his passive approval, right? He either causes it or allows it. So either way, it has at least a, a passive approval, meaning even if he didn't actually cause it by allowing it, it has his approval in the fact that he didn't have to allow it, right? You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus makes it clear, right? And Jesus is the one who gave him the power because Jesus came from above, right? Jesus chose this road. Now, again, he submitted to the Father. Again, when you see the, the, the cooperation of the three members of the Trinity in the work of redemption and the work of the cross and the resurrection, it's, it's tremendous. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And then an interesting line after that, Jesus says, Therefore, the one who handed me over to you 
is guilty of a greater sin. So he's saying, Pilate, your sin is real. But therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So we do see a we do see there are some sins that are greater than others. Now, again, sometimes we don't sometimes we don't really see what the the heavy sins are. We get confused. We think like murder, you know, or adultery, um, you know, or bank robbery or whatever is 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 our terrible sins. But we don't understand that some of the some of the most deadly sins are the sins of contempt. You know what contempt means? You don't care if someone lives or dies. There's a darkness in that sin that's that's more than you know. That's murdering someone in your heart, right? Uh, the sins of contempt, of bitterness, of unforgiveness. And then that moves on to sins of malice. Malice, when you want harm to, to come to someone. The sins of the heart. These dark, dark sins. When Jesus says, the one who handed me over to you, again, Pilate's a Roman governor. He doesn't know anything about anything. Caiaphas, the high priest who in John 18 says that Caiaphas sent him to Pilate, right? He is, he's the religious leader. He's the, he's the highest authority representing God in the land. He's like the Pope today for Catholics. He's like the senior pastors of the big churches. He's like the pastors and the elders and the and all the religious leaders, right? I'm the, I'm the leader of this ministry. He's supposed to know better, right? As religious leaders, as Christian leaders, we're supposed to know better. Pilate's just a worldly man. He's not Jewish. He's not under the Jews. And so... Jesus says, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. The more revelation we have of Christ, the more accountable we are. Some believe that, again, it was Caiaphas who just in the previous chapter starts out um, in chapter 18. Um, it says... In verse 28, the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Okay, so he goes before the high priest. They have this whole mockery of a trial. It's all made up. It's all lies. And then Caiaphas sends him to, to Pilate. So it's probably speaking about Caiaphas when he says, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Some believe he's speaking about Judas here. Some scholars believe that when Jesus said this, he's speaking about Judas, who we see in chapter 18, led the detachment of soldiers, and, Jew and uh, Judas had betrayed Jesus and led, him, and led him in. Again, I think it's speaking about Caiaphas. Some believe he's talking about, now again, both Judas and Caiaphas betrayed Jesus, but Judas, wa uh, Judas walked with Jesus three and a half years and, and, and was, um, you know, was disingenuous. He was never a real disciple. Um, he was always just a completely self-serving man. And, and actually it says in John six, Jesus knew that from the beginning, he never really believed, right? Verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. 
So when he when he hears Jesus say, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to, he's already been trying to set him free, but now he's really going to try to set him free, right? From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And there it is. The Jew, the Jewish leaders know Pilate's hot button, right? Because, you know, they, they, they throw up this manipulative Caesar threat. They know Pilate's fears, right? They, they tell Pilate, Pilate's trying to set him free, but they, 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 they shout to him, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. And remember, Caesar's his boss. So you're not a friend to your boss if you let this man go because, quote, anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So you see how they're boxing him in or they're trying to box him in. Pilate should have said, no, that dog won't hunt. That don't play. Yeah, we're not going there. I am letting him go. But they know that they can manipulate him by saying these words, right? He knows that Jesus didn't claim in any way to be a king that was opposing Rome. He knew Jesus was no threat to Rome at all. He knew that Jesus was speaking about a heavenly kingdom, right? Jesus told him clearly in the previous chapter, right? But verse 13, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. So he goes out, goes up the stairs and sits down as the big judge. Verse 14, it was the day of preparation of Passover week. About the sixth hour, generally the six hours around noon, there are some debates as to the exact time, but this says about the sixth hour, normally the clock, the six, everything goes from 6 a.m. normally. So the sixth hour, you count six hours from 6 a.m. and that would be noon, right? Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, verse 15, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Now, now Pilate's going to start mocking them. He's angry. He's bitter that they've backed him into this corner. He's frustrated, right? He's agitated because he knows he's been manipulated. But by this statement, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. You see how they just, they're preying on his weakness. They want him to fear, listen, you're not standing up for Caesar. You're not looking out for your boss. The whole thing's a disgusting manipulation, and he should have dismissed it as ridiculous, but he allows them to just to, you know, to stir up his fear and he's going to give in to them. But he's angry now. He's frustrated and he's going to start jabbing them a little bit. You know, he's going to give them what they want, but, but, you know, he's not happy about it, right? Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, 15, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked, and listen to these words, and listen to the gravity of these words. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? Jesus is the king of the Jews. Matter of fact, he's the king of everything, the king of heaven, the king of earth, right? Remember Matthew 28, 18 through 20? 
All authority in heaven on earth is given to me, Jesus said. Think about those words. After his resurrection, all authority, right, David? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Obviously given to him by the Father. He said, I'm the boss of everything. Mind you, kind of a bold statement, right? The words have never proceeded out of anyone's mouth ever, ever. There were madmen who thought that they were the rulers of the world, where they really weren't, right? This guy said, I'm the boss of everything on earth and in heaven. But look what they say. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. And these have got to be the most regretful words ever spoken. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. We have no king but Caesar. C.S. Lewis said that in the end, there will only have been two types of people. Those who said to Jesus, thy will be done. Or those to whom Jesus said, thy will be done. Right? He actually said God. I'm saying Jesus. Jesus is God. But yeah, there will only be two types of people. Those who, who say to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thy will be done. As Jesus said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Those who say to God, thy will be done, are those to whom God will say, thy will be done. They say, we have no king but Caesar. They utterly rejected Jesus with those words, and I pray they repented over him. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. There are just some things in our life that we've said that we need to repent over. We've said some ridiculous things with our mouths, Father, and I ask you to forgive us and cleanse us and help us to repent. Lord, please have mercy on us one and all. Verse 16, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Father, we... We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for giving us this Bible. Father, I ask you just to have mercy on us, Lord. I thank you, Father, for giving us Jesus. Father, it's unimaginable that you gave Jesus to such, to such treatment because you loved us so much. Father, forgive us our selfishness. Forgive me, Father, when I just complain about circumstances that, that I don't like. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you. We praise you. We thank you for willingly submitting to such, to such torture for us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving your life for us. And we worship you today, our risen Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. We love you and bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.